Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panel. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. What's shaking, everybody? Hey, hey. Hey, kids. Lads and ladies. So, a couple of weeks ago, we did a episode about Loki stories uh, in preparation for the release of Loki on Disney+. And now that Loki has come and arrived and we have had the opportunity to view it, and get our get our measurements of it. We thought it'd be a good time to do our Loki autopsy, our locktopsy, our locktopsy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna keep doing these. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're gonna go over it, and uh, we're we're just gonna go right into spoilers or a spoilful autopsy of Loki. All right. How does that sound to you? Sounds like it could get a little messy. But you know me, man. I come prepared every every time we record. I got my gloves okay, on, my dissecting knives. I'm ready to really uh, dive into the guts of this thing. Nice. My palms are sweaty. Mom's spaghetti, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> man, I would have loved if uh, Eight Mile had been Eminem, amping himself up, and then he goes out on stage to do a podcast. That would have been my eight miles. <laughs> yes, totally, man. One of these days, the, if they ever make a movie based on our podcast, that that'll be in the soundtrack. So it's, the soundtrack's gonna be eclectic, man. It's it's gonna have that song. It's gonna have All Star yeah. by Smash Mouth. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It has to have All Star. We have to put some Creed into it. Some <laughs> Limp Biscuit. We're really trying to make people hate us. <laughs> Play some Avril Lavigne, some Everessence. Eminem doesn't belong with them. Sure she does. She's terrible. Eminem, I said. Eminem doesn't oh, belong okay, with all okay, them. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you said Avril Lavigne. He doesn't belong. We, he's genuinely good. So what were your uh, overall thoughts on Loki, the TV series, Albert? Was it, without diving straight into the spoilers, was did you overall like it, enjoy it? Yeah, Um. I did. I think the thing about it was was that we mentioned, or I I mentioned in previous episodes that each of the different streaming plus shows felt like it was trying to do, or it felt like it was gearing itself towards a different kind of audience. Like WandaVision was maybe something a little more, I wouldn't say avant-garde, but experimental. Mm-hmm. And Falcon and Winter Soldier was definitely trying to it was trying to to occupy that space of something more political and more more along the lines of a, like a political thriller, you know? Yeah, a political action movie. Political yeah, a political thriller, action, action thriller. Movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think Loki was out of the three of them initially uh, when before the the show came out. I I didn't really know what to expect. I knew that some of the scenes seemed pretty zany, pretty out there. So mm-hmm. I, I really didn't have much of a clue as to what the plot was going to be or what it was going to uh, focus on. But after having seen it, I I still think it's zany, but I do also think it was something that that occupied the space of your more conventional Marvel fans, if I, if I really had to say. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like it was something that was more in line with just your standard Marvel sci-fi 
fanfare, you know? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say that there were moments where I felt like it was jumping around in terms of genres. The first couple of episodes, it, it did feel kind of like Loki became a procedural for, for a second there, you know? Because it was about him and this agency trying to solve the case. And yeah, especially those look. first two episodes. Exactly, exactly. I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I'd even go so far as to say that there's a part of me that's curious of what it would have been like if the entire show had been like that. But clearly yeah. their architects had uh, different things in mind. Mm-hmm. But, but as far as something that's more in line with uh, just more conventional superheroics, I did enjoy that. Yeah. What about you? Overall, I enjoyed it. I, I found it entertaining. I don't think I necessarily loved it or anything. Uh-huh. The one thing, I guess the one big thing for me was that I was entertained by the series, but I I don't think that I could say that anything in the story or in the show resonated with me. Mm. And I don't necessarily hold that against it or anything. I, I mean, I don't expect every piece of entertainment that I consume to punch me in the heart or anything like that. But I think just in terms of if is this something that I would really want to watch again uh sometime relatively soon? Probably not too soon. I was entertained by it mm. as I watched it. Yeah. Let me clarify something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you said it didn't punch you in the heart, so you're saying that Loki is not Mortal Kombat's Kano of Marvel television shows. Was Kano known for punching people in the heart? I think they all did, but for whatever reason, he's the one that always sticks out in my mind in Mortal Kombat as being the guy who whose fatality was to punch a dude in the chest and rip out their heart. Maybe that was Scorpion. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I feel like that was Kano, wasn't it? The dude with a half metal face or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, I believe you are correct, man. Thank Mortal you. Kombat's Thank not you. something I think about too often. Well... I thought it was due. Yeah. I mean, you, you had a Limp Bizkit reference earlier on. And you mentioned Creed, so Mortal yeah, Kombat. we going back yeah. to the nine, not even 90s, early thousands. <laughs> I don't even know if Mortal Kombat was popular back then. I feel like it's more popular now than it probably ever was, other than maybe the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. And I never even really understood why it was popular in the 90s. Well, there's a lot of popular stuff that we never enjoyed, so yeah, it's not too surprising. We're kind of uh, we're anathema. <laughs> yeah, we're we're more like outsiders, I guess, or we just have our tastes don't naturally match. What are you up talking about, masses. man? We just talked about how if we did a movie about our podcast, we would have Avril Lavigne and Creed. <laughs> And I've I've an all star, and I just decided that I wanted to add other superstars to my soundtrack. So I definitely would want to have Ja Rule and Nelly. <laughs> Mama E I E I O O. Underlay, underlay, Mama E I E I O O. You remember that? You remember Nelly? I do. I remember it. I remember it. I try not to think about him too much. <laughs> so so far this this evening i've made you think of mortal Kombat and nelly <laughs> yeah 
I mean, I guess it makes sense. Loki's kind of about a time travel. It's a time travel story, and you're you're taking me back to a past that I would want to forget. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What would I do without my baby? What? What? I'm not alone. Would drive me crazy. What? Because every third needs a lady. Talk. (laughs) (laughs) If you can't tell, that was me doing the Ashanti part. (laughs) That was a heck of a tangent. It, it was, man. It was. I think there were certain things about Loki, the series, that made it less enjoyable for me. And I think part of it might have been what you were describing earlier, just how it was kind of a more designed to be seemingly a more conventional superhero kind of story. So I think because it treads on more of the adventure and and the action aspects of that type of storytelling I, I didn't really find a whole lot of subtext to to latch onto. i mean i suppose there were there were certain things that if you really try to dig into the series i bet you could find stuff like probably even just the simple idea of how in the in the first episode he's seeing a future that he didn't actually experience and i guess the whole thing about time travel and and being able to be aware of these different possibilities i guess that could be something that could cause people to to think about or you know just it's like interesting thought experiments if you really try to imagine what it would be like to be conscious of of time and and the time that you do have the time that you lack and potentially the the future to come you know i guess those are pretty common themes uh that you can extract from the story but i wouldn't really say that the series focused on those ideas to the point where i thought that I was challenged or or uh, forced to really do any deep thinking. It was really more just a swashbuckling kind of adventure story to me. Yeah, yeah. I would, well, I'll still say this, though. Even compared to, even if, if we're going to call it conventional superheroics, like, I've seen the CW superhero shows and... I'd really rather watch Loki than something like The Flash. <laughs> That's you true. Know? That's true. Things. Yeah, I mean, I haven't. And really I actually watched, watched the, the first season of The Flash, so. Yeah, you you did watch it, so you would know. I'll I'll take yeah. your word for it. Yeah. So. There's that. Yeah, because because at the very least, I could say that at least Loki appealed to me to the point where I did want to watch it. <laughs> I can't and really say Tom the Hiddleston, same about Supergirl. Yeah. And Tom Hiddleston or, is actually fun to watch. Yeah, he is. He is. Actually, you you know what you reminded me of? That other DC TV series, Legends of Tomorrow, because that's another time-traveling type of story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I mean, like, I had no interest in watching that at all. Yeah. Yeah. So so by that metric, in the, in the by the metric of my personal interest, Loki is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> actually you hear that everyone? you hear that <laughs> make everybody put that on a blurb put that on the dvd box or 
fun. Way better than Legends of Tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, Put that on a t-shirt, guys. Cut and print. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know if this is something to save for this. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about this if only because we mentioned it in our previous episode, uh, in, in, in our precursor episode, uh, before, before we actually watched the, the streaming show. Mm -hmm. But I remember one of the things that you were talking about when we were trying to, uh, when we were pontificating about the, the possible source material that could be used for Loki. Wait, hang on. Uh, hang on a sec. Are are you about to throw my own words back at me? No. I'm I'm because, citing I'm I'm not responsible for anything I say on this podcast, so I I can't be <laughs> responsible. I'm not you can't hold me liable for anything I've said in the past, Albert. Uh I don't intend to. I I had zero intention of it, but now that you've planted the seeds in my mind, I feel like I have no choice but to recall every filthy, disgusting thing you meant to use it against you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, go on, go on. What I was going to say was one of the things that we mentioned, or it was that you mentioned that I found interesting at the time was we were talking about uh, Al Ewing's Loki, Agent of Asgard, mm-hmm. and one of the uh, recurring themes in that was that the young it, it was a it was a story about a young, young version of Loki, and there was a revelation that one of the threats that he was facing was this menacing evil older version, and yeah, and one of the things that you mentioned that. I don't think you went like super deep into it, but uh, it was something that caught my attention, which was this idea of pitting Loki against an older version of himself as a means of, I guess, manifesting the idea of like self-reflection, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the contrast between these two characters allows for some of Loki's personal introspection, I guess, if that makes any sense. And I do think that this version of the show, uh, or Loki on Disney Plus, uh, took that concept and pushed it to. They they did follow that thought process because, uh, well, I guess this, this is a bit of a spoiler, but I'll, I'll go there anyways. Okay. Um, because the show in the show, what we end up seeing is you you see uh, you know the Tom Hiddleston version of Loki that we saw in, but he is in contact with what are called variants, which are essentially alterverse versions of him. I feel like the recurring one of the recurring themes of the show is the idea that he comes face to face with these different versions of himself Mm -hmm. and it i guess it gives him perspective you know if that makes any sense 
Yeah, I I think I I could see that. So yeah. uh, it it was kind of brief because his time with his variants wasn't extremely long. I think it was just basically like one episode. Mm. But the I suppose the the contrast between the different versions of himself were kind of intriguing. Maybe yeah. Maybe it would have worked a little better if they had spent some time delving into the different ones a little bit more. But yeah. for the size of the the length of the series, I guess they didn't really have the time to go into go into they didn't have the time to go into those kind of digressions. Mm. We kind of just get little bits and hints. Like that one little scene where Kid Loki mentions that his Nexus event was that he killed Thor. I yeah. thought that was a pretty interesting one. Just to yeah. imagine a kid version of him succeeding in killing Thor. Yeah. Or even the old man Loki. I thought he was kind of an interesting version of Loki where... I want to say I th- I think he succeeded... I, I don't even know what his... Uh... I don't remember what his... You know what? I think he said that he he created a an illusion or a, a double of himself, and Thanos killed that double so he could escape with his life, and he yeah. just ended up hiding out on a planet until he got old, and by this point he got kind of bored, and once You're he right. got bored, he tried to leave the planet, and that's what caused him to show up on the TVA's radar. Right, right, right. Uh, but I do remember that that version of Loki did have some insights too, because I guess he was not maybe the ultimate bastard version of Loki who who had gone through his well, he might have been, you know, he might have yeah. been the version of Loki who had gone through all his trials and lived a full life only to realize, you know, the uh, the folly of it all. Yeah, yeah, that's. That's more interesting to think about, I think, just the, the idea of a an old old man Loki looking back on his life and finding a ton of regrets. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> okay, that's, for, uh, for some reason that resonates with me. <laughs> that's that's up our alley. That is for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Up our alley. <laughs> for some reason I, I just I love stories about old people looking back yeah. and finding nothing but regret. <laughs> I remember when uh Logan came out and we talked about it uh i i don't even know if we talked about it on a podcast but it was a thing where i don't think you were particularly impressed by it but i will say that the one moment that resonated with me was watching an old Hugh Jackman running in the woods trying to catch his breath i remember that winded. i remember that yeah. <laughs> uh, i think I think you were the only one who was laughing at that scene. But then once he heard you laughing, he started Zach started to laugh too cuz I think he watched it with us. Like I think you were laughing at the scene and he was laughing at you laughing at it. And I was laughing at him for laughing at you. It's a human centipede of laughter. Yeah. If we're already diving into spoiler territory, I'm going to talk about one of the things that irked me a little bit about the series or 
maybe I shouldn't say irked, but the thing about Loki is that when the movie starts, I mean, when the series starts, it's the Loki from 2012 from the Avenger, the first Avengers movie. So he's this time-displaced Loki who hasn't gone through the character development of the films that came out after. So he never experienced the events of Thor, the other Thor movies, Dark World and Ragnarok. He didn't uh, experience I, making me his wish encounter I was with that Loki. What'd you say? That making me wish that I was that Loki. <laughs> because you didn't want to that way Thor I would have had to experience Dark World. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I think what drew me to the concept of the Loki TV series was thinking, oh, we're going to get the Loki of 2012 back in our midst. You know, we're going to get the Loki that is selfish and in it for himself. And maybe he's not traditionally completely incorruptible, completely corrupted, pure evil or anything. But he's still out there primarily for himself. Mm-hmm. And that's really the heart of the character, I think. The heart of the character and the concept. We talked about it a little bit. Or I not I don't even I can't even say a little bit. I think we talked about it quite a bit yeah, when we did our, pretty, our Loki comics discussion. Yeah. It was a pretty It was kind of a cornerstone of our of our episode in terms of what what you wanted to see Loki be in the show. Yeah. Fundamentally, the key element of what makes Loki unique and what makes him this timeless concept is that he primarily cares about himself. He's a selfish person. Bastard. Exactly, exactly. He's <laughs> he's the guy that, that uh, when we talk about the most famous scenes of of Loki. It's that scene of him and Odin and Thor and they're about to fight Surtur to their deaths and Odin gives the battle cry for Asgard and Thor's battle cry is for Midgard and Loki's battle cry is for myself. <laughs> and that right. scene pretty much summarizes everything about the concept of this character, man. So I felt like in the movies in the MCU when they gave him that character development through throughout the other two Thor movies and finally got him to the point where he was willing to stand alongside Thor and die against Thanos at the beginning of Infinity War, that was a pretty much a natural conclusion to his his evolution as a character. Like he reached the natural endpoint of everything that he could do. So to bring back this older version of Loki who didn't go through those experiences, I thought we would be getting the selfish bastard back. And to me, that would have been a more interesting show. Mm. But what they did instead was they they let him watch basically a home video of those other movies. <laughs> he had to watch The Dark World, so <laughs> I guess he wasn't so lucky after all. yeah. <laughs> you have to watch the dark world ragnarok and his own death in infinity war and strangely enough 
just watching all those events play out, it seemed to change him into the character that we were familiar with, who the prime Loki who died in Infinity War. So what yeah. we ended up with for these six episodes of TV series was a Loki that was trying to be a hero, basically. I mean, yeah, sure, he had some mischievous moments, and he uh, had a sense of self-preservation, and he... I mean, he still acted like Loki, yeah. but the thing that was missing was that he wasn't a completely selfish bastard. He was he was actually kind of heroic, and I, I feel like that's a little bit wrong. Like, it, mm. it, I think the TV series works better as a Tom Hiddleston adventure story than it does as a Loki story, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Uh, I was going to say, like... You could even argue that his, well, you mentioned it earlier, like he has moments of of self-preservation because there are moments over the course of the six episodes where, where, you know, even his, his motivation at the beginning of the series, it's not to do anything heroic, but it's to save himself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because... Well, I guess if we're completely in spoiler, spoilful territory, I'll just go for it. But yeah, just go for it. So the series starts with him being uh, arrested by this organization called the TVA, which is uh, they're like timekeepers essentially. Uh, they the exist time outside. Time variance authority. Yes, there's a time variance authority. They exist outside of time, and their entire purpose is to uh remove these variants or you know these anomalies essentially that are going to screw up the timeline for whatever reason and loki in this case he was supposed to have died but because of uh the shenanigans of endgame he this loki ends up escaping and as a result he he shouldn't be so they go and they take him away and it's revealed that his entire it's revealed that the reason that he's taken well no it's revealed that what they want is to capture this other variant that is escaping their uh Mm -hmm. their notice you know like for whatever reason this other variant is out there uh eluding them and the revelation at the end of it is that loki is actually chasing another alternate version of himself. Yeah. So, it, yeah, that's why it becomes this, it very briefly becomes this uh, detective-esque type, type of story where Loki is trying to understand the other Loki in order to capture them, right? Yeah. But But even then, his goal isn't, necessarily heroic he's doing it because they're offering him a deal to save himself but even though there's this uh thread of yeah even though his motivation is his self-preservation it's he's not it's it's like you said he's it to some degree it doesn't it still feels like he's being heroic in spite of that right yeah even though his motivation is selfish He's not an outwardly selfish jerk in the show. Like 
Yeah, in the show he wasn't. Up. Yeah, he, in the show he wasn't really plotting to stab anybody in the back, really. Yeah, you know, like the other characters kind of expect him to, and yeah, and I I don't think he really does. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of the thing the, that that happens throughout the show is there are these moments where they talk about him as though he's not trustworthy. Like even in the very last episode when yeah. they're fighting Kang, it's him and Sylvie and Loki says something like, you can't trust anyone and I can't be trusted. And even though he says that, I don't know that I, you know, from what I've seen of Loki in this show, I don't know that that's necessarily true, you know? Or I I never got the sense that that was the case that he couldn't be trusted, other than the fact that they were saying it right. Yeah, they 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 were constantly talking about how untrustworthy he was, and yet throughout the course of the show, he seemed to be doing a lot to try and earn people's trust. Yeah. Even at the very end of the last episode, when he uh, was willing to put his life on the line so that Sylvie wouldn't kill Kang or Immortus or whatever you want to call that dude. Yeah. He was willing to stand in front of her blade and take the blow because he somehow, I, I guess he either thought that Kang was telling the truth or, you know, that he didn't want to take a chance if Kang was telling the truth. So he wanted them to stop fighting so they could take time and, and think think things over. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, it's stuff like that, that the, the, the the fact that he placed his life on the line that I don't know I would Loki would Loki really do that Albert it's kind of a it's kind of a double negative I guess um like it just feels like yeah like it, it feels like everyone around him talks about him as though he's not this good person in spite of the fact that he's he's doing these noble things right <laughs> yeah even yeah. the very end of the series when he discovers that uh well he, when he returns back to the tva headquarters he's in a panic because he thinks a multiversal collapse is imminent and yeah or maybe not collapse but uh some kind of event or a potential war from the, the kang variant you know he's he's concerned about that, and I, I guess you can make the argument he's concerned because he lives in somewhere in the multiverse. So why would he, he lives want the multiverse? in the universe? <laughs> yeah. So so maybe it's a sense of self-preservation. But the way it comes across is that he's the only one who who knows yeah. and who cares about this threat, and yeah. he wants to do whatever he can to protect everyone. Yeah. It's, it's strange to me, man. It's strange. Like I I, 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 I don't think it's. I don't think it makes the show horrible or unenjoyable or anything. Yeah. But to me, it it just doesn't feel like Loki. Like Loki. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do see what you're saying. Like, uh, yeah. I, I now that you mention it, I, I get it. I think I'm more forgiving of it just because I like Tom Hiddleston. He's pretty charming. He's pretty charming. He's pretty charming, and. I will say that I uh, I was captivated by his charisma while I was watching the show, so I was fine with that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I do yeah. think his acting was something that really compelled me and and carried the show. It he's he's a big reason why I found the show so entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, there were a couple of interesting moments, though, uh, that I guess jumped out at me. I guess that's the word to use. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They did. There was this one episode where there. So one of the um, things that they discovered was that the way that variants are able to hide from the uh, notice or the observations of the TVA is that they're able to, if they go to moments in time where, where essentially there are Armageddon's, I guess, or, you know, world ending events. uh, Mm -hmm. If they go to those moments in time, right before the, uh, the, the, the catastrophe happens, then Mm -hmm. the TVA doesn't look for the basically the TVA doesn't pay attention to those because once once that specific thing ends there are no more convergent convergent timelines from mm-hmm. from that point forward so that's that's how they're able to hide from this from the the TVA mm-hmm. and at one point Loki and his uh the alternate version of himself that he's chasing uh sylvie or Mm -hmm. the other loki uh they they end up on this i think it was a moon that was about to blow up yeah yeah and so the whole time they're just trying to escape and towards the end of that episode they do one of those like long tracking shots that feels like there's it's just continuous and there's no like no edit or no break. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Uh, not specifically, but just go on and describe it. So, so, so when they end up on this moon, one of the, uh, they're, you know, the moon's about to be destroyed by, uh, like a solar flare or something. It was, it's basically some sort of, uh, I think the, like a planet or a big asteroid or something was crashing into it. Right, 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 right. So, you know, they had to find a way to make it off this moon before they died. Yeah. And what ends up happening is uh, they they come up with a plan because there's this spaceship that's supposed to, this rocket ship that's supposed to leave the planet. And they just do one of these long tracking shots where the him and Sylvie are just like running and trying to get on this rocket ship. And it just ends with them getting there only to watch as the rocket ship blows up. And, like, they just lose all hope in the fact that that was their last uh, opportunity to get off the planet. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a pretty cool scene. Um, I mean, we've seen those really long, like, tracking shots before. I feel like, like, after that movie Old Boy, everybody tried to do their version of it. Uh, mm-hmm. We even saw it in like Daredevil or something like that, or uh, another ver- another uh, version of that that I can think of is uh, True, not True Blood, uh, True Detective, season one with uh, Matthew McConaughey. They did one of those scenes, and it's one of those scenes that 
it's one of those shots uh, that usually gets a lot of, um, I guess, attention or accolade from people. But mm-hmm. even though it wasn't necessarily the most original thing, I, I still thought that was kind of a cool cool scene to see. Just them running through this this chaotic world, trying to get to this rocket ship, and uh, just having like this long, continuous shot of them. I, yeah. I thought it was a good-looking shot, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I guess I, I didn't even notice that it was just one long take. Yeah, because um, I remember at one point they did one of those, like, 360 rotation scenes. Um, mm-hmm. So it just felt like it, it was just, yeah, continuous. Interesting. I wonder if that 360 was that the 360 rotation where it panned across the ground. I don't remember if it panned across the ground, but it was one of those. It was one of those scenes where <laughs> where Loki and Sylvie were like back to back fighting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So sometimes there are scenes that try to make it look like it's one long take, but they do little tricks to to fool yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like I, I don't think it was actually one long take, but uh, they they were trying to mimic that style, you know, yeah. trying to to make it feel like it was one long take. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I definitely would rather have something like that than something with with like a hundred fast cuts, you know. Ooh, like remember uh, Iron <laughs> Fist on Netflix? I actually never watched it. Oh yeah. Like I remember I you I'd, guys watched it, but I think I, I'd rather watch The Dark World again than Iron Fist. Yeah. Oof. But I remember some of the fight scenes in Iron Fist, they had you could have a I don't know, like a 90 second fight scene and it would have like 50 cuts. That would be pretty hard on the eyes. That's what it felt like at least. I I never counted. Yeah. I don't really plan to watch that TV show again. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any other scenes or things that jumped out at you, Drew? Here's something that caused me to wonder. Uh, yeah. and this is a this is a total stupid science pseudoscience comic book kind of question. But maybe sure. maybe you have some insight to help me make sense of something that really doesn't matter yeah but but since we're dissecting it i'm just gonna pick at it okay so in the in the first episode loki when loki is in the tva building headquarters he manages to recover the tesseract or the time stone right yeah he finds out that the stone the infinity stones have no power in this area uh-huh so is is there a reason why they didn't work is it just because the location of the tva was outside of the timeline i presume so if time doesn't exist then the time gem won't exist but what about the other infinity stones uh, I was gonna say I presume that that's the case with the time stone, but realistically speaking, I 
I think as a matter of raising stakes, um, they had to find a way to nerf the Infinity Stones. So that's what they did. Uh, I mean, the way that they talked about the Infinity Infinity Stones in the film, they just kind of treat them like uh, like tchotchkes or something, you know? Because mm-hmm. there's even this one scene where like they go to this one of the bureaucrats that that works there. He has a drawer full of yeah. Stones. He just has a bunch of them, and he he just he was just saying that we use these as paperweights here. Yeah, which is it's it's a little dismissive of of the Infinity Stones. I've um, seen in comics there are stories where it's revealed that the Infinity Stones, the Infinity Gems, don't work outside of their native universe. Oh, so. I can understand that. I mean, you've read those stories too, I think. Like the the JLA Avengers crossover, remember? Darkseid oh. gets his hands on a gauntlet and Desaad tells him that the gems the don't, work don't work outside of their native universe. And even That makes sense actually when you when you put it that way cuz otherwise There's also the the Hickman Avengers, same thing. They the the Avengers discover that the gems don't work outside of their native universe. Yeah. So I guess they're not quite as infinite as we thought. But but then that makes me wonder even more if that's the case with the movies, with the MCU, because if the Avengers in Endgame, they did the time heist and they found the gems from different points in time, wasn't the whole idea behind the time travel in that movie that when there you go back... Alternate universes? You're, you're, yeah, you're creating alternate timelines, which are essentially alternate realities so if that's the case why would those gems work in the prime timeline Ooh, you uh you clearly thought this out man that's a that's a good question i don't know what i'm trying to say man it's just like (laughs) i don't know why like why would i think of that but the writers of the show wouldn't think of it you know like why wouldn't they i feel like there's gotta be a, a at some point because we did see this happen with Endgame, where after the movie came out, there was a period of time where they would address these things, and, and we would hear about it. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if they're, you know, concocting answers, or if they've, if, you know, if they haven't already, right? Yeah. We'll We'll have to check after this to see if anyone brought it up to the Russo brothers or anything and see if they have anything to say about it yeah and my my final question about the infinity stones is why didn't loki hang on to the time stone you know take it with him when he left the tva you know when they were going through those portals to get to the different time periods if he had the time gem time stone with him would it still work like when they went to the that uh future a Walmart place during the during the hurricane. Like mm-hmm. if he had brought the the time gem with him, would he have been able to do anything with it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's I mean that that kind of goes back to what you were saying though in the previous question, which was, I mean, are those even the original universes where the gems came from? Yeah, that's 
Yeah, that's true. They probably aren't. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the main... That should be the deciding factor, right? Presuming that that's what it is that's uh, stopping the gems from working. Yeah, but if if that's the case, then the Avengers Endgame going through shouldn't time have shouldn't have been able to get the Infinity Gauntlet to work. <laughs> it's a conundrum, man. Yeah, we've uh, we've stumped the uh, the Marvel architects. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure the real answer is who cares. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Who cares? Shut up, fanboy. (laughs) Here's some Spider-Man. Go away. (laughs) What'd you think of some of the characters that they introduced? Were did any of them jump out at you? Did you like other than Tom Hiddleston? Like I don't I don't know. uh, Except for Owen Wilson, I didn't I didn't really know any of the other characters in the show, but. Were there, you know, any that you found endearing, any that you hated? Well, in terms of the actors, I didn't know anyone else besides Owen Wilson also. Mm-hmm. And since you already mentioned him, I, I do think his character was a pretty fun character. I mean, he's a pretty... He's a fun dude. He's a, he's a fun actor yeah. in general. Yeah, 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 totally. I feel like the way he acts in movies... I want to believe that that's who he is in real life because <laughs> it just seems like he's always that guy in every movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, I could, yeah, I could see that, man. You know, like just kind of a laid-back, uh, relaxed dude who just goes, "Wow, <laughs> wow." <laughs> yeah, so he, he that's plays. That's just how he talks. Agent Mobius M. Mobius. Uh-huh. who is a character from the comics that's based on Mark Grunewald because Mark Grunewald was a... He was a, a comic savant. Yeah, he was a comic savant who worked for Marvel and he wrote all the Marvel handbooks and a bunch of other comics and edited a bunch of stuff. But he was just known for his mastery of continuity to the point where I think it would be fair to consider him a fairly slavish to continuity. <laughs> but it, it it makes sense for the time variance authority to to base their agents on him because who better to prune the sacred timeline than the guy who knows what happened in Hulk number one sixty two, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So um, it, it was fun to it's see. It's a tongue in cheek idea. Yeah, it, it it was fun to see that that character uh, kind of be a shout out to. To Mark Mark Grunewald. Grunewald. Even even that one scene in I think I want to say it was episode five or six, but you know that scene when they were in the void and Mark I mean uh, Mobius was driving that car, the pizza car. Yeah, the pizza car. Yeah. There's a, a real brief scene where you could see the the license plate and the license plate said Grunewald. <laughs> Did you catch that? That's nice, man. I didn't. I didn't. I uh. Yeah. Oh yeah, but that's a this is, this is off topic. That's a sweet little Easter egg. Yeah, this is kind of off topic, but since we mentioned the pizza cart, you know what I thought during that entire scene? What's that? I was like, dude, this is just like when Albert and I are playing PUBG, and we're trying <laughs> to get away from the circle, man. And the blue zone is trying to get us. They were just driving around and like I'm running on foot. Albert's we driving the car. He's just driving like a maniac. And we're about to get killed. <laughs> That's what it made me think of, man. 
Yeah. And, like, the rust bucket that he was driving was just like it. Like the Datsun? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I liked him in that in in the show you know he uh there's this one moment where uh you know we thought he he died you know because uh you know so eventually he ends up uh learning the truth about the tva which they're not all just agents that exist in in this nexus point they're they're, right. they're all variants as well that have removed time and have the, had their memories altered to believe that they were always doing this job uh, for this agency, right? Uh-huh. So he he decides to call the TVA, you know, seeming uh, and you know it's I'm not gonna say it like. I cried or anything, but, but you know, I felt I felt bad. I was like, "Oh man, he's yeah. gone." You know? Yeah, that was one of the more affecting, emotionally affecting uh, subplots throughout yeah. the series. I think yeah. what they did with his character was it was nice to see real character development throughout the course of just these six episodes because he starts off as this all business kind of agent, and he's got a yeah. mission. And then his world pretty much gets shattered because everything he thought he believed in turned out to be a lie. Right. And then right. what he does to pick himself up afterwards and do something in light of that new knowledge, it's yeah. it was cool to see. So I think that the ending actually is a little bit sad because whatever changes happened to the TVA, it affected his memory and he, he yeah, doesn't yeah. know. He Loki forgot anymore. Loki. Yeah. yeah, he went from being they were buddy. Yeah, they were friends, man. Like the, they actually uh, developed care for each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you're right. I at the time when I was watching it at that that cutscene at the end, it was a cutscene, right? Like one of those, uh, those. Oh no, no, no! It was the actual ending. It wasn't. Oh, it was that. Yeah, it was okay. the actual ending. Yeah. So, so at that moment. I was I was caught up in the you know in the I guess the the drama of it all so I I hadn't even considered you know oh they were they were friends and now Loki's just on his own you know yeah I I did I will say that there was something about that ending that felt I mean I don't know that they were trying to pay a homage to anything, but it did feel like it was, it was, uh, it reminded me of that scene at the end of planet of the apes mm-hmm. where, where Charlton, has, uh, you know, he's on the beach and he sees the statue of Liberty there. And he realizes that he didn't land on some other unknown planet. He was on earth. all in, Like, you did it. It was Earth all along. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the revelation at the end of Loki was just that the TVA, which originally was thought to have been run by the the Time Lords, now 
all of those statues have been replaced by Kang or some version of Kang. Yeah. You know, and everyone has forgotten Loki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, it, it, it definitely ends on a place where I'm curious to see the next season. And I also thought that yeah. the interesting thing about the end of Loki was that out of the three TV shows that we've had so far, this was the one that in the mid credits scene, it clearly says it'll return for a season two. Yeah. Yeah. They've, uh, I do like back to the original, to our uh, earlier thought where, you know, that it was something that occupied the space of the more like conventional Marvel universe shows mm-hmm. or films um, the idea that there's going to be a season two and even the revelations that that happened at the end of the show i do think that it's going to lead into or it's clearly what's leading into the whatever the next big phase of the marvel universe is going to be right yeah uh, like it's it's seeding the the next set of plot lines for yeah. for the universe post post infinity war post endgame yeah because we already know that a big thing that's going to be in upcoming movies is the concept of the multiverse yeah the next doctor strange is going to dive into the multiverse and they even mentioned spider-man is going to have the multiverse in it yeah adam ant-man and the wasp is going to have Kang as the multiverse in it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's going to be a lot of stuff uh, spinning off of the uh, events of this yeah. TV series. Yeah. They're brewing on uh, or or they're they're brewing something big, you know, or uh that that's going to be multiversal in scope from from what it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you have any thoughts on Sylvie at all? You know the I don't know the actress who played her, but I thought she did a really good job too. Like I I really yeah. thought that she and Hiddleston played off well with each other. Yeah. And I I don't know necessarily if the character uh really feels like Loki, but if I'm just looking at the show as a singular form of entertainment and I'm not looking at it through the eyes of a comic book elitist, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. then I, I think her character was pretty entertaining because she was driven by revenge. And that's probably one of the more relatable <laughs> uh, motivations uh, I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought she and Tom Hiddleston had a good sort of buddy buddy dynamic. Um, I would say that, well, the one thought that I did have was if she's an alternate universe version of Loki, why don't they have the same color hair? I mean, it's a really minor thing, but I was, that, that was something that kept popping up in my head while I was watching it. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I was also wondering if. Like, how come alternate versions of characters can be completely different? 
like you would probably expect alternate versions of Loki to all be played by Tom Hiddleston, right? But that clearly wasn't the case. Uh, Everybody looked different. Yeah. I mean, dude, there was an alligator. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that, I mean, that kind of makes sense to me because what if there's a version, an alternate universe where we're all alligators? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, but I did I, like the I, alligator. I was assuming I that the alligator, alligator Loki was from the same universe that had Thorfrog or Throg. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. Was a pretty funny shout out to the comics that they had the Frog Thor right, in right. a bottle in that one clip. I kind of wish we had seen more of them. <laughs> yeah, I really wish yeah. we had seen more of them too. But I did like the alligator. I thought, you know, as a running, as a minor running gag, I, I was, I, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely made me smirk every time I saw it on screen. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, what What did you think about Sylvie's story arc throughout the series? Um, like I don't know if she's actually. I I think she's. Is she based on an actual character in the comics? Is there actual Sylvie? I think in the comics. Well, we. I feel like it could be inspired by the fact that Loki was a woman for a while. Yeah, that's what I I thought initially, too. And there was also uh, this comic series called The Young Masters, which had a a, a like younger versions of, I guess, the masters of evil (laughs) villains. I don't even think it was really the the masters of evil, but they had a, a version of the Enchantress. And I think her name was actually Sylvie. Oh, okay. I want to say Paul Cornell might have written that. I I don't really remember it too clearly. Okay. It it wasn't something that particularly stood out, but I, I'm pretty sure that's where they got the name Sylvie for the show. I see, I see. And it makes sense since the Enchantress is in Asgardian. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, it, it is interesting to see that or to note that Marvel's never brought the Enchantress or Balder into the MCU. Yeah. We've had three Thor movies and a Loki TV series and still no Balder and no Enchantress. I mean, I wonder if they're going to do that at a later date. I mean, because they're, I mean, they can always bring in their mythology, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I guess I just would have expected to see them because they, you know, they had Sif and they had the Warriors 3. So you just kind of assume that Balder is going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's definitely had a more significant role throughout Thor's history in the comics than the Warriors 3. Right, so right. You, you kind of expect him to be there, but I guess not. Well, I mean, we are getting more Thor movies with Jane Foster. So we might see some version of balder on in like new asgard yeah that's true that's true it's possible but yeah i thought you know the actress that played her i i don't know her name but she seemed uh like an engaging uh character and Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i was i was uh invested in her story and 
And and I'll admit there was a there was something weird about the idea of her being an alternate uh, universe version of Loki and having this like weird sexual tension with the other Loki. <laughs> there were, like there was as I was watching the show, I was like, wait, are they? They're not building towards like a romantic uh <laughs> infatuation like i was like no way that they're gonna do that that'd be weird and then like i don't think they ever explicitly say it but then they do kind of kiss or not kind of they kiss at the end or she kisses him um yeah but i guess you, there's an argument that could be made that that's not necessarily a romantic kiss it, it could just be um, they're they're just friends. Well, I mean, <laughs> it could be the kind of you know the kiss that you give for someone you care about. Yeah, right, right? on the lips, <laughs> the tongue. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly trying to give my friends those kind of kisses. Yeah, that's it's why I how they seen know that I, I care. <laughs> I don't want none of that, Albert. <laughs> I ain't like that. Uh, but um, anyways, yeah, like I thought that that was kind of weird. It it was confusing to me a little bit, but again, like I guess there's a way to look at it where it might it wasn't explicitly uh, romantic. So Are you sure, it seemed like Tom Hiddleston's Loki was in love with her. And what wasn't there a whole thing where at one point uh, when they were together and they were uh, I think he was, was going like, to say something to her, but he never got a chance to say it. Yeah. Were, were you talking about that? No, I was going to say there is this one point where I think it was right when they were on the on the moon that was about to get destroyed. Uh-huh. They're they're just kind of sitting on these rocks as they watch these meteorites crash onto the moon, uh-huh. and they're they're basically just waiting for their deaths. And they sit next to each other, and it seems like, uh, you know, there's that romantic tension uh, between them. And I think uh, one of the Loki's, or maybe both of them, just they just get closer to each other. And right at that moment, that was when the TVA found them. Pops because, in. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, for some reason, them, it, I think it was implied that them having some kind of uh, romantic attraction for each other <laughs> was enough to set off the warning alarms in the TVA. Was and it? That's how the, wasn't, that, wasn't that the implication there? Because how I... was... Because the, the TVA were like, we can't find them. And then all of a sudden, a little... You know how they have that that uh, monitor with the with the branching timelines? Uh, when, uh-huh. when something is in flux, it shows up on the screen. Yeah. So, so the, the two Lokis were sitting next to each other, you know, leaning in. Or, you know, I, don't, I forget if they were holding hands or something. But they were getting close to the moment of death. And then all of a sudden, the TVA finds out that they're there and they're able to uh, extract them right before the 
moon blows up. Well, I mean, I'd have to look. I'm not gonna say that I didn't get the sense that there was a weird romantic slash sexual tension between the two, but mm. like I said, I don't think they ever explicitly said like there was no point where Loki was like, I want to be in a relationship with you or I love you or whatever. Like it it was always maybe it was heavily implied but <laughs> so so even that kiss at the end wasn't enough to convince you that there was any sexual tension. I again, like I said, <laughs> uh I definitely felt that there was like I personally felt that there was something questionable about the whole thing but there's enough plausible deniability there where you know you could you could technically say that it wasn't necessarily a a romantic kiss or or, i mean what kind of a kiss was it how would you describe it uh it could just be the kind of kiss that someone gives to someone that they care about (laughs) Is that really how people like that kiss? Um, <laughs> I feel like you're doing some mental gymnastics. Uh, it's a really deep Have care. you ever seen that, Albert? Have you ever seen that? I feel like I've seen indie films where people kiss each other and it's not necessarily out of uh, a sense of romantic desire. That was a fairly passionate kiss, though. Yeah, but passion doesn't necessarily mean uh, lust. Uh, <laughs> it it could have been. There still could have been a romantic urgency behind their passion. It, uh, like here's here's what I'm thinking of. Remember that one Ray Fox uh, Constantine comic that we read. Which one? Uh, the New 52 version of Constantine. Are you thinking of uh, Gotham? What was it? No, it Con- was actually called Constantine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, at the end of that comic, yeah, the it's actually a, a perfect example, but... At the end of that comic, so that was a comic where Constantine fought Darkseid <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and so what happens at the end in the last arc of the story is, uh, spoiler for that, but what happens at the end of that story is Constantine ends up going to this alternate universe where there's another version of himself, but that version of himself isn't a bastard, you know? He's just mm-hmm. a normal dude. Mm-hmm. So Constantine, along with uh, the other Constantine from the alternate universe and the uh, and on all of his friends and family in that universe, they're basically escaping from Darkseid at the end. And at the end of it, they find a way to get uh, to escape the alternate universe. And Constantine... From uh, our DC universe, from the regular DC universe, is able to save them all. But uh, uh, one of the conditions at the end of it is that I think the condition was that the universe 
is only allowed to have one Constantine at a at a given time or something like that, right? Or okay. no, uh, I want to say like there had to be like some sort of price to pay for allowing them to flee uh, universe. Sure. So what Constantine ends up doing is he ends up murdering the other Constantine from the alternate universe in order to save all of his friends and he gives that dude a straight kiss on the mouth and that's not even a woman version of himself he kissed a dude version of himself on the mouth yeah that's true that's true well Constantine in the comics is also uh, bisexual I think yeah but I'm just saying that it wasn't necessarily a, an act of right it could have been love in the sense he he felt love for this person as he was wronging him you know it, it still could have been lust though because if you think about it isn't constantine so narcissistic narcissistic that he could be the type of person who would love himself like that yeah, I guess. Is he? Yeah, he's pretty nice. He's got he's got a bunch of he's pretty messed up. He's got a bunch of uh, yeah issues. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I guess out of the two of them, I'd be more inclined to believe that Constantine is more likely to indulge in yeah <laughs> <laughs> in something quite so masturbatory. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. But I I'd say I I'd, I'd still even though my personal instinct is to say that um it looked like there was a little more romance there than than I could assuredly say. I I I still think there's enough just enough room there for plausible deniability where you can say it it might not necessarily be a romantic kiss per se or or yeah mhm okay okay i don't know if i can agree with that i think it's actually romantic but we'll we'll have to see if any future installments of the story follow up on that yeah i think I think that's the only way that I will concede that. Do you? So, are you rooting for it not to be a romance, or or how like how would you react if it was revealed that or confirmed that yeah, it was romantic? I'd be like, okay, that was a decision that they made. That was a a direction that they wanted the story to go in. I don't. I mean. I don't know if I can get past like I I can I can get past it while watching future installments of the story as it unfolds but I think in the back of my mind there's always going to be a part of me that is going to cringe just a little bit <laughs> you're just uncomfortable with the idea of somebody loving an alternate version of himself like that it's yeah i mean 
They're not related, though, are they? Yeah, they're not related, so it's not like... It's not like, like he's kissing his twin sister. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I guess it's better than We probably don't have the same incest? DNA. What'd you say? It's better, so, I guess it's better than incest? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if that could be considered incest if because they're not related. Well, but that's why I said it's better than incest because yeah. it's not incest. Yeah. I, I really don't want this to be our topic of conversation. <laughs> I don't, I don't want <laughs> to spend the next five minutes, uh, figuring out what is and isn't incest. <laughs> Wouldn't it be weird if Disney made a show that made us think about? incest uh <laughs> i mean they yeah we were talking yeah. about black widow the movie the other the other week and they didn't even want natasha to be a child killer yeah so yeah. what what do you think would be worse to have a hero be a child killer or to have a hero be incestuous uh <laughs> <laughs> Were you expecting that question tonight, Albert? I was not. <laughs> I think I personally, <laughs> uh, for the sake of uh, drama and storytelling, I prefer that I would prefer a story where the hero is a child killer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see the the drama in that, and I don't foresee any questionable questionable uncomfortable moments for myself okay okay yeah so you're all right with with uh heroes killing kids but when it comes to to people loving who they love yeah you, you draw the line somewhere huh yes drew that <laughs> is absolutely the case <laughs> They they might uh, reveal they might have some sort of revelation that she wasn't some she wasn't an alternate Loki at all for all maybe that's why she doesn't have the same hair color maybe she is the enchantress her power was to enchant things that would be a, a quick way for them to get around the incestuous aspects for you. Yeah. Well, I thought you were going to say that's a quick way to bring the Enchantress into the Oh, yeah. Marvel well, that universe. too. <laughs> 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 what? That I don't know. Is, is hair color All really the thing that defines I mean, it isn't, but like like I said, you know, even as I was watching it, I, I realized that that wasn't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, it it wasn't necessarily the thing that was uh, gonna poke a hole in their logic because she could have been from an alternate universe where Loki's have black hair, so uh, or where Loki's have blonde hair, so whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it it wasn't something that. Like, Bob, this doesn't make any sense. 
<laughs> I'm pissed. I'm royally pissed. <laughs> Do you know what other character I enjoyed in the series? I liked Miss Minutes, the little cartoon character. I actually did too. She didn't have a huge role, but there was something about her that was just fun. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I just realized that the actress who voiced her is an actress that I've heard of before, Tara Strong. She does a lot of voice oh, work. Yeah. Yeah. She was she, in the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, she was a Powerpuff Girl. She voiced Raven in Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. Oh, yeah. Yep. So she's done some uh, DC and career. Marvel stuff. Yeah, yeah, she's been around for a long time. She was Batgirl in in the animated series, in Batman the animated series. Yeah. The the later. She's got seasons. a super recognizable voice. Like if you if you heard her, you definitely know her. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely cool yeah. to to see the use her. Yeah, she's definitely like an animation like an animation like legend, I guess at this point. Yeah, totally, totally. When 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 I first saw the se- the first episode, I I thought Miss Minutes was just gonna be this one off kind of uh, character to yeah. give some exposition. So when she kept on reappearing throughout the series, doing all these different little tasks and interacting with the characters, I thought that was cool, man. That was a fun fun little detail, a little bit of creativity and unexpected stuff there. Well, I actually so after watching Loki, I. I went online and I watched some random YouTube videos about stuff uh, about Loki. And uh, and one of the videos I watched, and, you know, again, this is the Internet, so I don't know how true any of it is. But one (laughs) of the things that they were saying was that the actual ending of the show, the actual ending of Loki was was changed last minute. And the ending that they were planning uh, that they had initially planned to do was one in which and we saw a little bit of this in uh in loki but initially they were going to have miss minutes or they were going to reveal that miss minutes was wasn't necessarily behind it all but she was going to that entire like monologue like that entire bit at the end where they had kang uh kind of unpacking everything that was mm-hmm. going on they were going yeah. to have miss minutes do that instead oh with, interesting with the very final like revelation being of of kang kind of just as a quick shot uh as as kind of like a you know as as the mastermind behind it all you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know they they decided to change that last minute and have have kang uh play a bigger role in and like i don't even know if he's really kang because well he is kang and he isn't because they don't necessarily refer to him as kang uh, they just call him he who remains yeah yeah but he's basically kang yeah i think i mean it's the actor who's gonna play kang right yeah i I believe so i mean i don't even know who who that actor is I, I don't whether know whether from. we call him Kang or Immortus or Ramatut, it's still basically the same. Iron Lad. <laughs> yeah, Iron Lad. <laughs> yeah. True that, true that. Well, but that, okay, so that goes to kind of another, like, thought that I had 
uh, coming with all, with all the different revelations that we've seen from the streaming shows um, mm-hmm. and all the speculation that's been going on. Yeah. It feels like it feels like they're going in. They're gonna lean into a bunch of different Avengers. Like, I, it feels like we're gonna see. They're they're finding a way to do a young Avengers in which we're gonna have a young version of Kang on that team. I mean, that That'd would make fun. sense. That'd be fun. And then we're already seeing them seed the idea of them doing a Dark Avengers. Or something, or you know, or a thunderbolts, or a thunderbolts, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, and and then there's gonna be the regular Avengers. So it, I don't know. Like, I I I guess it feels like they might be seeding uh in, in terms of what moving forward. Just a a more expanded Avengers roster, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know yeah. if like we talked about this a little bit, and that that seems to be the uh, the thing that the fanboys would drool over. Yeah, I mean, I begrudgingly would want to see that, but I just would prefer that fanboys be denied any sense of gratification <laughs> ever ever you know <laughs> yeah yeah if if they have to take a dump you hope they don't find a toilet exactly i i, I hope their butt get plugged up so that they just have to live with it inside their stomachs <laughs> <laughs> if i have to live with their crap they have to live with their crap <laughs> Hey, I was also going to ask you about that one scene where Mobius trapped Loki in a time loop where Sif kept on kicking him in the nuts or kneeing him in the nuts over and over. How'd you uh, like that? It was funny. I mean, I kind of wish she had gone bigger because uh, uh, it looked like she just kind of kneed him in the nuts. And, you know, as a, as someone who's a fan of... Uh, of uh, Nut you shots. love watching people get hit in the nuts. It's hilarious. It's one of the funniest things on earth, man. And I just feel like if someone's gonna do it, it has to be big. There's got to be a. It's got to be grand, you know. Like she's got to. She need. What I would have wanted was to see her just run up to him and just straight, just you know, go for it. Just a straight, swift kick in the testicles. You, know? you wanted her to kick him so hard that his feet would be lifted off of the air. Exactly. And I wanted his eyes to cross. <laughs> <laughs> See? You're laughing. <laughs> Just yeah, the idea I might of be laughing at, going, at your glee. kind of cool to see that they brought Sif back even if it was just for a jokey scene like that. Yeah, yeah. I wonder I mean, I'm not even sure what happened. Did she movie. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't we think... haven't seen her since. Yeah, but, she like, hasn't. I've... I feel like okay. the last time that we saw her might have been on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, that's assuming that you watch that show. I did watch the first season of that. I just oh, okay. never followed it up. But yeah, like, she was on, on that, and that might have been like, well, well, that was definitely like at least five, six years years ago. If not yeah, more. she wasn't in Ragnarok, so we never really saw if uh, if Hela ended up killing her. So yeah, I would just assume that she's still alive. Yeah. Maybe she's somewhere uh, in New Asgard or something. Maybe we'll see her in Love and Thunder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, I'm curious to see what, what Love and Thunder is going to look like. Uh, you know, how they're going to establish this new world for the Asgardians. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually pretty pumped for that movie, man. Just because yeah. it's uh, going to adapt it. Jason Aaron's story. I mean that. Yeah, that. I think out of the Marvel movies that we know about that are on the horizon, that's that might be the one that I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, and it's Taika Waititi, and you know, after Ragnarok, we know what he can do. We know what he's capable of. So, uh, yeah, you know. The the ones that I'm looking forward to are that and the last, or I don't even know if it's the last, but the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah. You know, I'm glad James Gunn got a chance to go, come back and finish what he wanted to do on it. Did you and, know that uh, they're going to do a Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special? Are they? Yeah. Is it done by James Gunn? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's going to be uh, next year or when exactly it's going to be. But I think they said that at some point when they start filming the movie, they're going to uh, film the the special. It'll be a Christmas special on Disney plus. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know what that's going to look like. I, what if they make it like the star Wars <sighs> holiday special? Remember that? Yeah, where uh, the Ewoks celebrate Life Day or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was um, the Wookiees, man. It was the Wookiees. Oh, it was the Wookiees, not the Ewoks? It's all about the Wookiees. <laughs> it's all about the Wookiee. Because <laughs> he did it all for the Wookiee. <laughs> Bring it back Wait, to did you plan this? that? I... I uh, did you plan that? No. You did, right? No way, man. Oh, okay. So I just I I just tied those things together. <laughs> I thought you consciously you purposefully did that. I thought you were you were trying to do a limp biscuit thing. <laughs> I don't think about limp biscuit on a regular basis, man. <laughs> Cause he did it all for the Wookiee. <laughs> that's that's probably a, a weird owl cover of a Limp Bizkit song. It's gotta be. <laughs> oh, man. That is probably as good as Limp Bizkit is ever gonna be. <laughs> probably better. <laughs> probably better. <laughs> oh, man. 
But, uh, yeah, um, you know, I'll watch it. If they do a Christmas special, I'll check it out. I I like James Gunn. Um, I'm curious to see what the final Guardians of the Galaxy movie is going to look like. And, by the way, I thought Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was a great film. It's definitely up there in one of my favorite MCU films. So, you know, so to the to the haters, you guys just don't know. Mhm. Mm-hmm. You know. Agreed. Guardians of the Galaxy Two is it's it's good. It's beyond yeah. good. Yeah. I got I got mad love for the first Guardians movie, but I actually like the second one a whole lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Like collectively, the two of them are are just great films, and I want to know what. Uh, and I'm gl- again. Um, uh, I'm glad that James Gunn is gonna get a chance to come back to do his final. Final one, or presuming that it's his final one, presuming that it's just a trilogy. I'm, I want to know what his final statement is on the Guardians of the Galaxy as a whole. Yeah, totally, totally. Going Did back you, to Loki, I was also going to yeah, ask yeah. you about uh, the character Ravona. What did you think of that character? Was she the? She was the, the lady judge who, lady. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I think her uh in terms of the comics her backstory is that she's supposed to be she was one Kang's of the brides of Kang, right? Yeah. yeah. So um like the whole time when I was watching the series, I thought that she I thought she was in on the on the scam. In on, yeah, like I thought yeah. I thought she was working with Kang, you know, being being one of his uh, confidants and, and all that to right. control the TVA. So when it when it turns out that she was just as in the dark as everyone else, I was like, oh, that's an interesting approach. Like that that was something I wasn't expecting. So it's different, yeah. you know. Yeah. They did reveal that she had a normal life prior to her role in the TVA, because the last everybody scene... was a variant. Yeah, yeah. But in this one scene, they went, uh, the one TVA agent went, uh, you know, when she was being chased down by all the other agents, she went to a moment in time before uh, Ravona. Was that her name? Mm-hmm. Before Ravona uh, was, became the judge or, or the head agent. And you see her in her civilian life. And just by seeing her, it kind of stuns the rest of all the other agents into realizing that something is wrong. Something is amiss about their entire setup. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, we don't, after, after that moment, uh, Ravona just kind of goes off on her own because she's in search of answers too. So I, I'm curious to see what, she gets up to or like where where yeah. her story is going to take her yeah because we we don't really get an answer to that you know yeah it's something that's left open for future stories i also yeah. wonder what's going to happen or what yeah what what's the deal with the tva agents that found rabona's past self right like yeah they they come across her and they're the the agents who are hunting the the main 
uh, lady. They're just shocked that they see a variant version of their boss. Yeah. But after yeah. that, we don't see what happens to any of them. Like, did yeah. their memories get all changed when Kang took over? Or, like, what, yeah, just what happened to them? That'll be interesting yeah. to see, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and speaking of Kang, like, yeah, yeah I guess Kang. we got to talk about the revelation uh, of it all. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess we we kind of knew that they were going to do some version of this. Um, when we did our Loki comics episode, we talked about some of the speculation we would have for the series. And uh-huh. we, we, I think, no, I not think, I re-listened to some of uh, that episode. And I asked you back then if you think that, if you thought that Kang would show up at the end. And you had an emphatic but disdainful yes <laughs> and i believe your response was i think he will show up but the way you said it was so disdainful because you said it was going to be because it was the thing that fanboys would eat up and love <laughs> just so dismissive they would though i mean it's Marvel, I mean, Marvel slash Disney knows how to, um, how to seed hype. So, uh, you know, what better way than to, than, than to put in this, this character that, you know, the quote unquote real fans can salivate over because they can tell themselves that they know something that the rest of us don't, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wait, but, is that any different than what we're doing right now? I mean, I don't think I'm anywhere near as self-congratulatory. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm talking about it as a matter of observation, uh, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, but I'm not you know, I'm not over here talking about how great I am because I knew it. <laughs> We're not over here doing that, you know? So We're not great just because we knew that stuff. We're we're just great because we are who we are, man. That's all exactly. it is. Exactly. I don't need that to be the thing that makes me great. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um but yeah, the the re- revelation at the end of the series is that there is a a man essentially at the end of time who has been managing all the f- all the fine details and aspects he's the task manager yeah he's the task manager <laughs> exactly he he's been managing all of the details the minute details of uh, all the timelines in order to make sure that they maintain cohesion because if they don't the timelines will f- will fracture and all the various uh, alternate universe versions of himself uh, will eventually clash with one another because uh, this man at the end of time comes from a future where he discovers time travel, but it's not just him. It's every version of him in the multiverse. And apparently the universe has gone through this, before 
or that's the impression that I got was that the universe had gone through this before because as a result of all these different versions of Kang finding uh, the secret to time travel, they naturally went into conflict with each other and that conflict ended up destroying, you know, Mm -hmm. millions of lives, millions upon billions of lives as uh you know various multiverses are destroyed yeah and and that's the deal that he proposes to loki at the end is basically what he says is that he's 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 done this for a very long time and uh he's basically a tired a tired being a tired man and he wants loki to assume the role of uh of the task manager you know mm-hmm. but then uh <laughs> but then that's 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 kind of the devil's bargain at the end which is so when loki and sylvie are there they're they're given a choice they can kill him and see what happens which which will likely be that the timeline will fracture into these multiple threads and well, i think the main thing was that killing him would lead to a multiversal war between his variants or something of that nature. Well, but that's, I think, no. So, well, yes, but the way that I interpreted it was that all the, all the machinations he had been uh, performing up until this point had made it so that there weren't all these fractures in the timeline. There weren't, uh, all these different Kangs running around because you see that one moment when you see the, the timeline and uh, in the moment that Sylvie decides to kill Kang, you see the branches begin to shoot off. Mm -hmm. So my, my takeaway from that was now that with, with all these different branches shooting off, we're going to now see all the various versions of, kang as they go into a kang war yeah that's what yeah. that's that's the multiversal war that's gonna happen yeah but i i think when i was watching it the the interpretation that i had gone with was i th- i want to say or maybe it's my hope that what they're doing is they're trying to do what Jonathan Hickman did in his Avengers mm-hmm. where we're going where what we're not although we're going to see this multiversal war the bigger threat that we're going to end up seeing is the incursions yeah and Kang is just the face you know the the punchable face that we're going to associate with it but really the bigger threat is going to be the incursions yeah um, that but that that would be a pretty uh, great prospect, I think, to see that play out in the MCU. Yeah, because I, you know, I we we've already had a series of movies where we saw them fight Thanos. You know, where we saw them fight the one big bad guy, and I'm, you know, not that I don't like the theatrics of, uh, you know. A superhero boss. fights or a final boss but um you know just for the sake of variety i do think 
the idea of them taking on like a force of nature like is I I didn't I I think that'd be a good change of pace, you know? Yeah. Cuz if they really did do an adaptation of the incursions not only would that make for it w- I mean naturally it would it would give us plenty of slam bang superhero action if you just want to see crazy fights between people with powers yeah you're going to get that but the thing that really made Hickman's story stand out so much was that he explored morality you know yeah. he explored the morality of the characters and the heroes and how far they would go and it's all about things breaking down and uh what you're what you are willing to do in order to to save your world because the thing with the this tv series that we learned is actually pretty similar to what we saw in those hickman comics because even yeah. what what eat what uh what Kang uh, described about how uh, he and all of his different variants met and congregated at one point, and they they put all their scientific genius together and tried to um, solve the problems of the various universes. Hey, guess what? That's exactly what Reed Richards was doing in Hickman's Fantastic Forerun. Yeah. You know, yeah. he was he Hickman wrote a story where there was a parliament of Reed Richards where all these Reed Richards from across the multiverse got together and put their heads together and their goal was to solve everything. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing in the show that jumped out at me was there was a moment when when uh Kang said everything burns. And to me, that was way too close to everything dies, which is the yeah. was that's the motif of the Hickman story. I mean, his Fantastic Four and his Avengers slash New Avengers, everything yeah. dies was the refrain of that series. So hearing Kang say everything burns, I don't know. I, I kind of wish he did say everything dies, but maybe that would have been too much of a too obvious too or too nose. overt, too yeah. on the nose. Him just going to, on to describe the multiverse too, that and how it's like the, he he had the little hologram thing with the display or the illustration of how the multiverse uh, appears in a simple way, where they're yeah, all yeah. layered across each on top of each other. Like that that feels like a good way to set people up for this idea of the incursions, because if those different layers end up phasing into the same space, when these Earths crash into each other or merge into each other and occupy entire the same space and time planets and universes the, will yeah the be entire destroyed. reality is going to be destroyed two timelines will be destroyed yeah yeah just as a, a another side note um and i this is another thing where it might just be a rumor and i don't know if it's like true mm-hmm. but uh i remember reading once that Rick and Morty. Uh, so, you know, for those of you who are fans of Rick and Morty, the idea of uh, a council of super geniuses that are that that are comprised of the same person from across the multiverse. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the recurring themes 
in the in Rick and Morty is the Council of Ricks from across the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading something. It might have been off Wikipedia. So again, I don't know how true it is, but <laughs> uh, it did say. I think the article said basically that that was inspired by the Council of Reeds from across mm-hmm. the multiverse. Yeah. So you know, a little something for you Rick and Morty fans. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. And I the found other thing this is, uh, quote from uh, from Hickman. Actually, I wanted to to share just to hype people up in case there is some kind of a incursion uh, adaptation. But the, the idea behind the story of these incursions, right, is it's a, it's a really grim tale of multiversal collapse and all the heroes, you know, they're trying to do whatever they can to, to solve it without becoming monsters because they learned that, one way to stop these incursions from happening is to destroy the other Earth before it merges and phases with their Earth. But if they destroy another Earth, they'll basically have condemned another reality to death just to save their own. So here's the quote from Hickman. And and he's talking about uh, his entire run I, I guess like his his whole story starting from fantastic four going to going through secret wars and he says the whole point was to tell a super bleak story from two sides so that you could then tell the story about how it's all going to be okay the beauty of new avengers is that it embraces the nihilism and the beauty of avengers is that it's the futile struggle against it and then secret wars is a story about it being okay to hope if you do things for the right reason, maybe it'll work out for the good. So I got that quote from from Hickman on a th- from the oral history of Secret Wars over on yeah. Sketched by David Harper. Uh, that was that's, a great a article. If, if you guys like to read stuff about comics, check out Sketched.com. But yeah, that that quote from Hickman always stood out to me, and it, he just kind of distills into a few sentences, all the things that summarize what makes that story, you know, like it, and he's not necessarily like boasting about how great it is, but if you read that story, you you can't help but feel that's one of the best superhero comics of the past. Well, I would say ever, honestly, like that's a, that's just a great. I believe it did make the top 25 Marvels of all time. It did. Yeah, the experts know what's up. <laughs> well, I did just talking to you about this and uh, you know, having the gears turn my in my head. I did just uh I did just come up with something and I'm I'm curious as to what your thoughts on it are. So, if they do end up doing finding a way to do the incursion story, right? Mhm. If if they adapt it for the movie, but what we're gonna have is we're gonna have a team of Avengers going up against the team of Dark Avengers that they they've already started setting up in replacement of the Avengers and the new Avengers that Hickman mm. created. Mm. Do you think that that's potentially what we're gonna see? So we're gonna see U.S. agent 
and uh, Yelena Belova and whatever Avengers on that Dark Avengers team going up against whoever the Avengers are with the Young Avengers caught in the middle. Yeah, that could work, man. That would be pretty interesting. Yeah. The only thing about it is I kind of do want to see a version of the, what were they called, the Illuminati or whatever. Yeah, I was uh, going to ask you, if, if they do uh, your idea, which side would be analogous to the Illuminati and which side would be the Avengers? I think the regular Avengers would just be the Avengers and then the Dark Avengers would be the stand-in for... The Illuminati. Was What was that? It wasn't... I mean, were they actually called the Illuminati? Weren't they called something else? The uh, it, it wasn't Cabal. No, was I think it? they were just called the Illuminati. Oh, okay. So I think the Dark Avengers would be a stand-in for the... I mean, which, uh, it would still work, but, but there is something menacing to the idea. So when Jonathan Hickman did his version of the Avengers... Um, he he split the team up in two. So, but then there was the Avengers team, which was made up of the, of the Avengers, who decided that they were going to work and seek to protect the world at all cost. You know, mm-hmm. and even if that meant, in, uh, even if it included doing underhanded or questionable things, so. It was really them as one organization working against themselves, you know? Well, not maybe not against themselves, but working towards working in different capacity towards the same goal uh, and potentially conflicting with with each other. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's like what Hickman said in that quote the illuminati they they embraced the nihilism they were they uh, acknowledged the fact that everything dies and they did what you would do in a situation where if you if you actually believed that there was no hope those are the things that you end up doing the things that they did whereas with the avengers they never embraced that nihilism. They never embraced the idea that there is no hope. They continued uh, to fight against that creeping darkness. Mm-hmm. And that fight kept on getting more and more futile because yeah. that darkness eventually overwhelmed them. Yeah. And it wasn't until Secret Wars when everything was, you know, resolved. Yeah. And, and that's that's the story that... that kind of vindicates the the optimism and the hope that's inherent in superhero comics. Exactly, exactly. It's it's a beautiful run because Hickman spent so much time building up this grim uh, future, this grim series of events that was an unstoppable multiversal force just eating itself. And the only way seemingly to be able to stop it was to become a monster yourself yeah yeah but in the end he he did end it on this uplifting note where you you get to see that it's okay to to have hope and it's okay to strive to be a hero and and yeah 
you know, even in the face of everything looking wrong and uh, everything seeming to have no chance of success, some somehow things end up working out. Yeah. We have to uh, believe in I our do. heroes. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if that's where the MCU is going to go. I Yeah. It, it could go into a place where we start seeing grimmer types of stories and at the end of the phase or the end of the cycle, whatever they want to call it, maybe we do get something that is just emotionally it reminds us uplifting. what's so great about the Avengers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And we do know that Fantastic Four is supposed to come out in a couple years also. Exactly. That I was just going to say, so we're going to have our version of Reed Richards. Um, yeah. Doctor Doom. There's, Yeah, Doctor Doom will be there. Um, I mean, all the places, all the pieces are in place for the, the Illuminati. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the second Black Panther movie, I mean, unfortunately, Chadwick Boseman has passed. Uh, you know, rest in power. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, however they end up working that out, uh, I, I think one of the things that they mentioned was that Namor might be in in that movie, in the in Black Panther Black 2. Black Panther 2? Oh, nice, man. Well, I mean, this might just all be speculation or rumors, so, you know. Oh, okay. if, if we don't see Namor in Black Panther... Um, I mean, Namor is traditionally a, a Fantastic Four antagonist. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a, a way for us to see. There's multiple avenues for us to see him, and uh, yeah, we we could end up with. Hey, hey Namor was the, an X Man at one point. Maybe he'll be in the X Men movie. I hope not. I really <laughs> hope not. <laughs> for any future writers of Namor. Uh, or submar- submariner. Just don't don't do the mutant thing. He doesn't have to be a mutant. He's cool on his he own. He was the first mutant, Albert. It was in the title of uh. one of his comics. <laughs> I don't need that man. Are I just like him for him. <laughs> <laughs> Does everybody have to be a mutant? <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if I now that I've, I'm talking with you more about it, I do hope that they are taking this second phase to adapt some of Hickman's ideas. Yeah, yeah, I would love I, to see that. Yeah, that'd be fun to to see uh, Secret Wars and the new Avengers and the Avengers. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Any final thoughts on Loki before we get out of here? No, man. I uh, I had a fun time watching it, and I had a good time talking about it with you, dude. Yeah, same here, man. I feel like I feel like I actually appreciate it more after we talked about it. Nice. I mean, that's the thing about shows like this is uh, it's our ability to. Uh, you know, geek out about it after the fact, and like you were telling me the other day that you know you you go you you were reminiscing about a time you went to a comic book store and you guys would just 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you were talking about it when you were reading, and you were just talking about how you would hang out at the comic book store talking with your butt for hours as, yeah. as uh, you know, speculating on what was going to happen or what might happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As the series was coming out. And, you know, that, that same sort of fun applies to something like this, uh, where after the fact we can sit around and just kind of jaw about it. Yeah, you yeah. Know? We extracted as much entertainment as we could out of it. And the entertainment isn't just limited to the act of watching it, but yeah, also, uh, like you said, jawing about it. Yep. Yep. Tis good. Tis good. Yeah. Good stuff. That was fun. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening to Between the Gutters. Feel yeah. free to hit us up if you have any thoughts of your own on Loki that you'd want to share or anything. Hit us up on Instagram, DM yeah. us, or email us at Between the Gutters Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you know, follow us on our Instagram uh you know tweet at us what have you yeah we've been trying to stay pretty active on instagram posting pictures of stuff that we read and uh whenever we talk about comics for our episodes we'll try to post up uh different scenes and things of the stuff that we talk about so yeah and and a little while ago albert started up a couple of hashtags (laughs) we have uh the discount bin diatribes where we yes uh, we do talk about the different comics that we've read from the deals that we've obtained usually quarter bins or just really cheap finds from wherever yep and we have the athenaeum assessments which is where we read uh or review our library books library comics so follow us yeah follow us hit us up and we will catch you next time thanks for listening everybody Peace peace out guys I had a question for you, but I think I already know your answer. <laughs> Ask away. If you met a female alternate version of yourself <laughs> from another reality, do you think you could fall in love with that individual? Oh, man. Um... She'd have to be pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, what if she was as hot as female Loki, Sylvie? Uh, uh, well, if it, if it was, yeah, I guess if she looked like Sylvie, I'd be fine with that. Like you said, it's not incest. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. What, what? When it's your romance at stake, you you can uh <laughs> you you should change your mind real quick. Well, when you said when you when you asked me if it was her, I was like, well, she was an attractive woman, so yeah, sure, I guess yeah, so. Yeah. I guess that's all it took.
Okay. So okay. Be, so that being the case, I guess Loki's not so bad. There you go. He's not a weirdo. 